Hello, and welcome to my podcast, John Scott Lawton's English You Know. In this episode, I interview teacher, poet, and author, Kathy Ellis from Atlanta in Georgia, and we talk about the inspiration and the motivation behind teaching English as a foreign language, or English as a second language, and the challenges that learners face, particularly again when working in international environments, or when a refugee or immigrant to a foreign country in this case, the United States of America. Kathy is the author of three books, two of which already uh, published and one about to be published and available for purchase. I put links to these in the podcast description. The first is Wings from Roots, a poetry book. Also Primero, which was Kathy's first book. And the new book, which is going to be Marvella. We hope you enjoy this podcast series, which is intended to provide additional listening practice, particularly for advanced learners, including those studying for the International English Language Testing System, IELTS exams, and other online or face-to-face -face accreditations. If you wish to leave feedback on the podcast, please do so using the Spotify sound app or by writing to me at johnscottlawton at hotmail.co.uk. Full contact details are given in the podcast description. Thank you very much indeed. So good afternoon, Kathy. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Delighted to see you. Uh, you're in the United States of America. I am currently in Kosice in the east of Slovakia. So tell me where you are precisely and what the weather's like with you, because here it is very, very wet. Well, I'm in Atlanta in Georgia, um, the southern part of the U.S. and the state of Georgia is right above Florida. The weather has been absolutely wonderful and uh, just a beautiful autumn with colors and calm skies and I hope it continues. Fantastic yes people always uh, rave about in other words they really love New England in the fall in the autumn but does your area too have lots of trees and lots of different changing colors now? Well the canopy is beautiful I mean Atlanta is known it's a city of seven million people but it's known to have an amazing green canopy the colors are a little bit more muted um, up north where I'm from in the Detroit area of course you get more brilliant types of colors so I would say here in Atlanta we are in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains mm -hmm. and so you know as you go farther north then you're going to have those colors but here it's more muted but it's still pretty it's very nice very nice Okay, so give me a sense of, of what you do, Kathy, before we go into your background, just what your company is and the kind of work that you do, and then we'll look at what brought you into this work. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I do, I think like a lot of people wear different hats. So my company is Intercultural English Services, and I it has a long title, but I included that because I do language work and I do cultural work. And so I have language coaching, usually for advanced speakers. Uh, business English for intermediate advanced speakers. And then I have cross-cultural training for corporate newcomers that in the U.S. and usually they get one to two days of orientation, so to speak. And we go a little bit deeper under the iceberg there with that because they're working in uh, international arenas and American style arenas. So we cover that. 
I also do language coaching for refugees. Um, Atlanta has become one of the places where the Refu Welcome America, which is a, a program, and they have a huge refugee population here in Atlanta. In fact, it's in the town called Clarkston. It's one of the most diverse places in the United States. So I usually work with ladies from Afghanistan and from Ukraine. So, um, and that is volunteer work okay. uh, because of the, the the hard going that they have faced. And I said, you know, it's something that I can do. And I also do intercultural development inventory, the IDI, which is an assessment, uh, psychometric assessment that can actually tell someone how they engage in differences. Okay. All language work, all cultural work, all kind of related, but also uh, a lot of variety in that. <laughs> yes. And we've discovered each other, if you like, through LinkedIn, didn't we? Through a connection. Yes. LinkedIn. But it seems to me that many aspects of your career mirror or they match aspects of my career, either now or previously. So that's why I was very interested to talk to you. And we'll unpick some of these different elements of what you do. Um, okay. Good. And we set some formal questions. We'll run into these, but we'll also ask some supplementaries. So here comes the first one. <laughs> Can you give me a sense of your your general background of how and where you grew up and how that impacted your interest in language and particularly intercultural work. Oh, thank you for that question. I always find it kind of amazing because my grad background was kind of isolated. And so it was a small town in the Midwest, not a whole lot of diversity. And so kind of growing up in that, that environment, what kind of exposed me is a couple of things. One are the foreign exchange students that we would have in the high school. And I became fascinated. I said, they don't look like me. They don't talk like me. I was just absolutely fascinated with the differences as a 10-year-old. Yeah. And I said, I think I want to be a foreign exchange student too. And that's what I did. I went to the Netherlands when I was 17. And then my, my father grew up in a British household. And so in that is coming the traditions of the British, English and Welsh, and just the tea and the biscuits and the lamb and the mint and, you know, all of these things that we were exposed to that nobody in the neighborhood ate like we ate. <laughs> um, and then and then we had lamb all the time. So that was also a part of it and a lot and a lot of gardening, a lot of flowers. And then my mother grew up kind of in a semi-German speaking home. Mm -hmm. And so she also we had that influence as well. So it was kind of like that. And and I remember my grandfather, he he saw that I had an interest in kind of different countries. Mm -hmm. And he suggested, why don't you go to uh a college for diplomacy. Okay. And I thought that was really insightful of him because uh, we were all in a small town. Like who says that in a small town, you know, yes. recognizes that. I didn't end up doing it, but my first job was in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. And I love to tell this story because I, I, I was like 21, 22 and Americans are not famous for their geography. And so I went and I said, Oh, I thought Guatemala was an island in the Pacific Ocean. Yep. And I was thinking of Guam. Guam yes. 
And I remember just like how naive and have, but having these desires, but being very naive about them. And so then my first job was in Guatemala and that just opened up my world. I mean, in addition to being a foreign exchange student in high school, that really opened up my world. And then, and then the rest is history after Guatemala. Again, that mirrors very much my kind of um, exposure to this growing up in Manchester in England where generally at that time, a very monocultural, single white uh, cultural environment. But I had this fascination with geography. Geography was always my favorite subject. And I remember my sister had a globe, an inflatable globe. And I always used to go into a bedroom and just spin this globe and stop it with my finger and think one day I'm going to go to this place. Now, nine times out of 10, it would be the middle of the ocean, of course, because most of the earth is covered in water. But occasionally it would land on Kenya or it would go Ooh. to America or California or it'd be in the middle of Europe. And actually thinking about it, that's three of the places where I've lived, along with Australia. So amazing that my finger found those spots years before I actually turned up there. But, that's amazing. Yeah. Second question for me is, during your career, you've worn what you call a lot of hats, a lot of different jobs that you've done. Um, what is it? You've said a little bit about what you're doing now, but where would you say the majority of your time is is now spent? Uh, right now, majority of my time is consulting, uh, usually in the corporate in the corporate world or one on one uh, with just different people from different industries. That's where most of it is. And um, I don't know if you want to know some of the hats that I've yes. worn, like a, like a lot of listeners, right? I mean, we wear these hats and it's not like, it just comes to us. People think about, hey, would you be interested? Or, you know, when I think again, going back to my small town, isolated living, I would have, if somebody said to me, oh, you're going to learn languages, you're going to travel, you're going to work in six different countries and so forth. I, I don't know if I would have believed them, yeah. but the door opens and then another one. So I've been like a ESL director, program director. I've taught university, usually undergrad, the first two years of university and international student advisor, because I had to have a break from teaching. So I did that for about seven years, administrative type of work, but all related to education, all yes. of it. And again, that's a, a kind of mirror with my career, which has been almost exclusively spent within education, now self-employed as a teacher. I'm just reflecting back on your very first overseas kind of visit, your your stay in Holland in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. What did you get from being a young foreign exchange student? What did you learn when you lived in the Netherlands for a few months? It might be the question, what didn't I learn? I was like, I was just shocked and when I realized okay what's the idea of culture shock and I, it truly was I really don't like that term culture shock I don't think it's such a shock but 17 years old uh, it was and now I, I reflect back on it and uh, it was the first time I ever was in an apartment I grew up in the countryside it was the first time I was ever on an airplane uh -huh. I mean, at 17, are you kidding me? Who can say that now? And then it was a first time for so many things. And then when I arrived in the Netherlands, I had the best family. They were the best and we're still in touch today. I'm in touch with the grandchildren now. So I'm dating myself a little bit, but 
it was just such a wonderful, it wasn't easy, I have to say. It was not easy. And then I can remember just being upset because the food was so different. I remember the first breakfast was bread with strawberries on it. Yeah. And I remember just kind of these little things that would say, oh my God, I'm really in a different country. I'm really yes. in a different land. Yeah. You're not home. I'm uh, not home. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Because um, I've been used to, in the last six years to spending half my time in Slovakia, half my time in England. And still, every time you come, it's an adjustment. It's a change. I'm going back to England in a few days' time, and I'm actually looking forward to it because, you know, sometimes you just need to be home. You need to yeah. be in the familiar. But every time you go back, you go back with a different set of experiences and a different attitude to life. Um, I would say even at my age, you know, you're always learning things. You're always, every experience is new. I think what I found when I lived in Kenya for the first time, three and a half years, that was my first overseas full experience. I mean, before then I'd been on holiday. There is so much you learn about yourself as well about your relations with other people and the fact, you know, the way you relate to them in that way. And I think that's sometimes what people call culture shock. The shock is sometimes, why did I react in that way? Why did I get upset when I thought they were talking about me, but maybe they weren't, you know? When you're surrounded in a foreign or with a foreign language, it's easy to become almost paranoid that people are talking about you and actually they may not even be mentioning you. They may be looking at you, but it may be nothing to do with you. So living abroad exactly. has its challenges as well as its rewards, doesn't it? It really does. And, you know, as you were talking, Edward T. Hall, one of the anthropologists who got this whole field started, said the best way is to know yourself and to know your country is to leave your country and go to another one. And then that acts like it bounces back, yes. like a light, and it bounces back to you. And And I think that's very well said what you mentioned it is about your growth it is about discovering that there's other ways of doing things yeah. i know it's elementary but i think in practice it can be a challenge sometimes yeah. no it can be the simplest things that throw you out you know um, right i'm trying to remember what difficulties i've had on this trip apart from going in the wrong direction for a football game which is not like me at all um but sometimes there are just little things that you think why did i do that or why did i react that way and it really, it throws you out. It really uh, does. What still inspires you, if we say in both our careers, later on in our careers, you need motivation, you need inspiration. What is it that keeps you working? What is it that keeps you going? Where do your rewards come from? I love what I do. I, I, it's, it's become more like it's not an eight to five. It's a way of life. And I have made it where I don't separate that. I don't separate my, my spiritual principles. I don't separate my values, so to speak. And I engage with, I just love it. Most of my career life has been with people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's my motivation. And I don't see myself, I just see myself working and it's, I don't even call it work. No, no. I, I just 
go into it. I'm in my, well, I'm retirement age, but I don't, the word retirement, no, mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah. No, I, I, I call it reframing or I don't even call it reinventing. Why should I reinvent? I can reframe. I don't want to change everything about me to reinvent. Yeah. And so I just go into reframe and I say, oh, I haven't done that before. Let me try that. Yeah, and I learned so much. I learned so much from so many people, the way that they think, the way that they do things, their concerns when they come to the U.S., they don't want to hurt anybody. They don't want to. They don't want to step on anybody's toes. Yeah. And so it's just something that is so rewarding. And I really enjoy helping people. Mm -hmm. And why not? Yeah. Uh, if I'm able to do it, I'm happy to do it. I think there's something here about work, if we call it that, or activity feeding the soul, keeping you going, mm -hmm. keeping your, certainly keeping your mind alive, keeping us active. I think it is about reframing, rethinking our position, particularly to retirement, because like you, I could retire. I'm at retirement age, but I don't want to. I don't feel I need to. Other than occasional ill health, I feel I've got the energy to keep working. So mm. why not? You know, I've certainly, I've got four children. They all need some support. So that's the financial driver. But Actually, in terms of enjoyment and reward, I still feel I've got something to offer. So I think that's very important in this this work. Absolutely, it's you know it's peace building, isn't it, yes. John? Yes. Yeah. It's again, building yeah. bridges. We're we're bridge engineers. I always tell people I don't look like an engineer. I don't look like a bridge engineer, but I build bridges. Yes. And I think that's just really important that we have. That we have my my last podcast uh, with uh -huh. David. We talked about uh, creating new entities, new relationships through communicating with others. And that kind of notion, I think we're carrying that discussion on here because that is what language is used for, is to build those communication relationships and then to establish them and develop them. Can we come to your interests outside work? Because we're going to particularly share something you've not mentioned yet. Um, okay. and you're going to share that with us but um, what interest do you have outside work I I love my time I think like anybody else I um, read a lot see movies a lot I like seeing international movies all kinds of movies gardening I know that sounds like an old lady but I love it uh, growing flowers and herbs and I hike a lot Atlanta and in Georgia is beautiful for hiking. I do a lot, a lot of hiking, a lot of walking, a lot of exercising, cooking. Okay. And then I write poetry. All right. Now you're going to share yeah. some of that poem poetry with us. Um, yeah. First of all, what got you started with poetry and how many books have you produced? We're going to put links to the books in the podcast description and then talk about the poems you're going to share with us. Oh, thank you very much. Um, when I was growing up, poetry really appealed to me. And I would write a lot of poetry. I was probably about 10 or 11, 12 years old. I would write poetry. And then my mother one time read my poetry and adolescent drama. I, I said, oh, you can't read. You can't read this. Oh, you know, it was just terrible. Um, but throughout the years, it always nagged me. 
and I wrote some poetry, but but it was always nagging me. And it wasn't until about 10 years ago that I said, okay, this year you're going to write, no matter what, you're going to write. And I quickly got, I was just so amazed by that because I quickly got, it was some success with that. The poems were accepted, the poems were awarded, and I was just so pleasantly shocked and surprised that I, I just continued. So that really motivated me to, to continue. And that's how I got into the poetry. And then I went into different facilitating poetry groups mm -hmm. and just kind of fell into that, which was about three or four groups, kind of being surrounded by, by poetry and learning about it. I also was a language arts major. So that, that, that appealed to me. When it came to writing, I thought I would be writing short stories about my travels and it wasn't coming out. So I think we have to pay attention what we're going to write about and in what format that we're going to write. And I'm usually inspired by uh, ethnicities, by nature, by spiritual and anger. So it's also kind of when things, when I feel kind of upset and I go into writing, that really helps too, because you get to the truth. You get to the truth of it. I have two and a half books that are published. Okay. Interesting. So I you have, get a half. <laughs> yeah. The half. So I have Wings from Roots, which my mother said, you, you have wings and you have roots. So I had to really Google this title. I had to work with a preposition on that. Okay. You really. And then my first book is called Primero. Okay. Primero. And that is really kind of, I knew when I published that, that I was probably going to be sorry about some of the poems that I put in here because it was my first book. But yeah. in a way, I don't care. You know, no. it's the process that we go through when we're writing. This Would one you... is definitely a, a really good. Go ahead. Go ahead, John. Wings from Roots. Yeah, I was just thinking about poetry because some people are put off by the form. They think mm -hmm. everything has to rhyme. Mm -hmm. And they sometimes feel they haven't got anything to say. But does it really matter that you're writing either for yourself or for somebody else? Where do you feel a poem finds its home, really? You know, it's such an individual choice. I think that's a very interesting question because there is alliteration in the poem. There is a rhyming. There is this going on. And sometimes I will, I'm challenged by that, but I really like it because it gives structure to the poem. So nowadays, a lot of poems don't have to be written like that. You have spoken word. Yes. You have all of these different types of poems. You have format to work with. And a format is a visual thing. And that also impacts the way that one reads a poem. Mm -hmm. So in this case, a poem, you know, and this is the tricky part. It's the fine line because you have prose. Yes. And I'm thinking, I, I can't put prose in the poetry realm. Why isn't it? Because it's more like an essay writing or mm -hmm. something. I have some prose, but I don't call it poetry. Mm -hmm. But I know in some arenas that they, they do call it poetry. They accept it in yes. poetry contests and so forth. Um, so it is, it is an interesting topic. And I think people have different opinions about what is poetry and what is a poem.
I'll just give a before you share your poems with us, get ready for your reading or your uh -huh. recitation. Um, Poetry Club International is a group I established uh, with a Slovak poet, which is a group on LinkedIn. So um, I'll make a link to that in the podcast description. And where oh, great. OK, I'll look for that. International poets want to share their work. That's a forum to do that. So I will make that available. I do write my own poems. They tend to be very idiosyncratic. They are by me, for me, but for others sometimes. So they're very personal. I don't know whether I'll ever publish them as such, but um, I think everybody feels at some stage they want to express themselves in words, whether that's poetry, prose, or a short story. You know, there are various forms and formats. And I just encourage anybody to write in whatever language. It doesn't have to be in English. People, if they want to write, just write for yourself. And this is where the concept now of journaling comes in. People mm -hmm. are finding journaling is a very cathartic, very helpful, very therapeutic way of expressing thoughts physically, kinesthetically, putting them down in, in writing can help people. It's very true. You know, um, I, I remember part of your question was that, you know, publishing or is it for yourself? Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately when, for whatever reason, for me, it was confidence um, that I thought, let me publish some of these. Yeah. And so, yeah, some of it is, but most of what I write, I have the idea of being published. Good. Yeah. And I also, my my half book, just to kind of finish. Uh -huh. Yes. Please. Yeah. So here we have, and it's very interesting. Um, it is an epic novella. It is a poet, poem novella. I gave it a new name. I said, I can't, I don't know what this is called, but I call it a novella. Okay. And it started out just as writing I saw a postcard and I started writing describing it was a beautiful postcard with lots of details mm -hmm. and I was it, it inspired me mm -hmm. and I was writing and I looked at it, I said it's not enough mm -hmm. and then that was part two and part three it's not enough mm -hmm. part four well this has to happen I can't just finish it here so it turned into a part six series of poetry and this is the first one a publisher actually uh accepted it and so we're just at the tail end we're almost done it should be on the shelves in november okay. and amazon.com um and my name kathy with the k l s e l l i s and you'll find you'll you'll find the the two first two books there this one will take a while to get there but it should yeah. be in there by the end of november and that is a story about healing, mm -hmm. justice, and feminism. feminism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you say, okay, it's complicated, yep. but I I really, really like it. And it's illustrated. That's another thing. Yeah, it working with I saw the cover that. It looks beautiful. Yeah. Um, what we'll do is make sure we'll put the link to your Amazon.com uh, details because people to see certainly see the first two books and then obviously in november i'll do an alert that the new book is there when it's available oh thank you yeah thank you very That's much what are you going to read for us kathy well this is a heavy duty one but i'm going to go ahead and and do it yeah. um so this just in light um one of the things they say a poet doesn't need to explain a lot a poem should stand by itself now, I one of the places that I lived in was, and it was a young age at 22, was 
in a place that had civil war going on, civil war. And uh, this was in El Salvador. And it's called Blood and Beats. Mm -hmm. During the war in El Salvador, some things were not learned by explanation, common sense, following the one in front, keeping safe. Instead, I had to figure out the bizarre along the way, move through days when everything changes, comprehend addiction to adrenaline, recognize that youth was on my side, know the dangers of my own naivete, seeking truth and bearing witness to civil war, to malnourished children, machine guns chattering in the dark, helicopters in the dark, curfews, shriveled vegetables, teenage soldiers pointing guns at you because they don't know where else to aim, nearly 30 journalists' lives lost, the assassination of Archbishop Romero, the rape and military execution of four nuns. I stayed. Very good. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, very powerful, as you say. Very heavy situation. Very uh, relevant to today's world we're in. Again, referenced that with David last time. You know, this breakdown in communication leads to so many things. Uh, civil war, particularly being one of them. Yeah. Uh, another poem for us, Kathy. What do you have? All right. This one here, it takes place in Mexico. And Mexico is an intriguing country with a lot of history. And I love some of the places there. So I had walked, usually I don't like to walk in churches that are full of gold. You know, I just think, bring the gold back to the Americas. I mean, you know, all of these things. But this this church was very different. It didn't have any gold. So that was one reason. This is called Sanctuary of a Totonico. The modest entrance that faces east of the distant Jerusalem at the vortex of the surrounding landscape of water springs and mesquite trees unsettles the soul. The image of the Holy Land houses the Sistine Chapel of Mexico. Serene earth-toned murals and Father Neri's scripted meditations in clay-red paint grace all space on rising interior walls without pretense, without gold, sincere, sacred. Hundreds of years, thousands of sinners mumble their transactions, flagellate their bodies, fast their last stop until the myth of penance is empty. Very nice, nice religious imagery in there. Reminded me of the city of Cartagena in uh, Colombia that I visited uh, once for one day. It was the hottest I think I've ever been in my life. It was hugely uh, <laughs> impressive as a city, except the tour of the cathedral where they we were told, and I'm British, remember, um, <laughs> the Francis Drake, well-known, some would call him explorer, actually a pirate. This pirate. proof, you know, he took the gold from that city and he said to them, uh, look, if you don't uh, give me your gold, I'm going to bomb your cathedral. They gave him the gold or he took it and he still bombed the cathedral. So it was terribly <laughs> embarrassing as a British person to be walking around this cathedral with all the holes, the cannon holes still there. And uh, yeah, he took their gold.
You know, I have a side story. You mentioned Cartagena, right? So I was also in Cartagena. And um, and that was part of the story of this was the fort. Did you go to the fort? Uh, no, not yet. No. Oh, okay. So oh, the um, fort. No, I wasn't near it. Yeah. Well, when you said that was the hottest day, so was that fort. It's a huge fort. And I found it very disturbing, by the way. And that's what kind of, I put this in the story of Marvella and the broken water. So, and I said, you know, you feel things. Yes. And it's like, wow. Did you want yes. to hear another poem? Uh, yes, please. Okay. This one is a lighter one. <laughs> Finally. I was in a, it was an opening of a Mexican restaurant down the street from where I live. And uh, so people were there and we're all walking around and there was some cheese there. And I asked the waiter what kind of cheese it was. And he said, Chihuahua cheese, Chihuahua cheese. And I said, it wasn't queso de Chihuahua, you know, it wasn't it, it was Chihuahua cheese. And um, so Chihuahua is a state in uh, Mexico, in the north part of Mexico, Chihuahua. So this is a little bit, and you know, the listeners can't, but you can see, I worked with the format here and um, kind of uh, try like a arrow format in there. And anyway, it's called Chihuahua. I just like the sound of Chihuahua. I love to say Chihuahua. Okay, Chihuahua cheese. Chihuahua, cheese, queso, origin, the Mennonites, North Mexico, semi-soft, cow milk, white, salty, melts, Supremo brand, forms of Chihuahua cheese, braids of Chihuahua, balls of Chihuahua, round wheels of Chihuahua, blocks of Chihuahua, more Chihuahua cheese, please. Very nice. Yes, I think it's very nice to have a collection of poems where the reader has, this is why I like Rupi Kaur's books, because although they're never humorous, I don't think, her poems, <laughs> they are very powerful, but she sets them in sections. So you get yourself ready, you know, for what's going to come. It might be love or loss or grief or hate or, you know, anger, but you know what's coming. Collections allow you to do some of that kind of pre-selection, don't they? That's very nice. Thank you very much, Kathy. And as I say, if you can send me your immediate uh, Amazon link, uh, I'll okay. also your website link, I'll make those connections. Just let's come back to the subject of travel. And are you still traveling? Are there I know, actually, before we spoke, we you were in Ireland. So what did you think of Ireland and where's your uh, next destination? Who doesn't like Ireland? I mean, everybody you talk to that they've gone to Ireland, they absolutely love Ireland. And it's it's true. It's magical. It's really magical. And I enjoyed it so much. We we came into Dublin. We stayed in a village south of Dublin. We went to Belfast. Very interesting. Northern Ireland. And then came down to um, Galway on the other coast. Made kind of a triangle. Had a wonderful time. But a lot of rain. Yes. yes. <laughs> but I loved it. And I loved Ireland. Um, well, I think it might be Hungary with the ILCA uh, conference in Budapest. So I'm I'm really excited. I want to get to know this area a lot better. I've never gone to this part of Europe, mm -hmm. um, you know, where you are. 
and Slovenia and Croatia and all, I would love to have an opportunity to go there. I have traveled to 43 countries mm -hmm. and which is like American, you know, usually you have one week of holiday and then yes. <laughs> it's the like, Bahamas, maybe, yeah. and we're surrounded by these two big oceans. Yeah. But um, I'm going to spend more time uh, as much as I can. And I want to go uh, to parts of Africa. Mm -hmm. Africa really intrigues me. And you mentioned Kenya, that you've yeah. been there. And I, I have a friend who lives in Rwanda, and oh. they, are, they are doing so well. Yeah. And I would be very interested in seeing some of these places. Also, the Asian world. Mm -hmm. I've been to China, but I would like to know more about Japan and yes. other parts in China that I think would be so interesting. Southeast Asia, um, definitely want to see Angkor Wat in Cambodia. And uh, there's so many places to, to see, you know. Yeah, I'd agree. I think as a geographer, you know, that globe when I was a child, yeah. that, that still spins for me. And I'm still thinking, okay, where would I like to go? Where have I not been? Uh, where could I go? Yeah. Some of my yeah. favorite places are like you, rather unusual ones, but Iceland, not Ireland, but Iceland. Okay. Yeah. I find fascinating. Um, I'd like to go back to Africa, but I have a, a fear that if I went to Kenya, if yeah. some of the children I used to teach are no longer alive, then I would be very distressed. Oh, so I'm yeah. really worried about that. Yeah. Um, let's just finish on this thing about culture and your, we didn't, we spoke about language, we spoke about poetry, but some of the challenges that immigrants to the US still face what are some of those aspects that you pick up in your two-day uh, cultural training for corporate employees because that's a subject i've written recently about as well from a language point of view but from a cultural point of view what do you think are some of the if we don't want to use the word culture shock elements some of the right. challenges that people face on arrival to the states that they've quickly got to get their heads around in order to feel settled and to use this word again in order to feel something like at home Oh, boy. <laughs> the medical system. And so I always call U.S. one quarter of the world and then the rest three quarters of the world operates this way. But U.S. operates in a very different way. And uh, the medical system is just overwhelming. And so I do spend some time. That's the practical. So I have the practical part. And we also go over the language out of network co-pays you know so they're familiar because sometimes people when they go to a new country they don't know what questions to ask so you you have to i say keep your questions very open yes and let people know when you don't know just let people know you have to be a little bit vulnerable and you have to show what you don't know most people enjoy helping other people and then you'll have some people that can help you in certain things um so i would definitely go with the medical you know, another thing too, see the, the working spouse kind of continues as is. Their world kind of continues. If they're married and they have a non-working spouse, I really focus on the non-working spouse. If they're not happy, nobody's happy. This is the person who travels with the person who's got the job, whether exactly a, a fellow, um, well, it can't be an employee. It's, it's a family relationship, isn't it? That's yeah. partner of, whether it's- It's their partner. Oh, and so, you know, and they're not working. They have to deal with the daily stuff. So I also don't want to for them to forget themselves mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that U.S. does give a, a platform of opportunities that maybe they hadn't thought about before. Mm -hmm. 
So we go a little bit into that. But I'll tell you what is a major concern, making friends, being accepted. Yeah. And making friends, we cover it. There's a wonderful book. In fact, I have it here. Uh, friends Beyond Borders. Friends Beyond Borders. And coincidentally, I met the writer. It was funny at a CTAR conference. We were just talking about it. Making friends varies from culture to culture. What is friendship and how do you make them? And so we do spend a lot of time just understanding that because it depends on where people are coming from. So it, it appears to be that the U.S. friendship can be a little bit superficial. And that we, we go into that. What does that mean? So we also uh, hit that like socializing and the ways of doing things, the casualness, there's a, there's a casualness about living in the U.S. So we go into that and cultural dimensions. Just a final question for me, Kathy, which is a bit of a cheeky one. Uh, <laughs> we haven't pre, I'm just saying as you're talking, I'm thinking we have an expression in English, British English, travel broadens the mind. Yeah. And I'm never quite sure whether this is true. It's a bit like travel opens the mind and it makes you more accepting of others. Would you say that has truth or it's got its challenges? What's your impression when you hear travel broadens the mind? Oh, I think very positive about it. And but what kind of travel? Mm -hmm. What how deep are you going in the iceberg with that, with your travel? And uh, one example that came to my mind was the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. Now, they might spend a lot of years in different countries, but yes. they are not learning. No. I experienced that in Germany where my friend uh, worked on a U.S. Army base or RAF base. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say it was near Stuttgart. And uh, I was on there one day having a drink with him in a pub, in a bar, and things were getting quite lively, you know, things were getting quite heated. And I made a few comments and my friend Dave said, John, shut up, be quiet. I said, why? He said, you're in America now. I said, no, I'm not, I'm in Germany. He said, you're in America. Because I was on a US Army base, I effectively was under the jurisdiction of the United States. So I had to calm myself down, think, okay, let's get off here. And uh, he was right, you know, that in that particular moment, in that place, I was under, you know, a different jurisdiction, a different authority. Interesting. All right. Kathy, that's been fascinating. Thank um, you, John. I appreciate it. have gone around the world a little bit there. I think yeah, only yeah. mentioned Australia, but that was another, you know, the whole, <laughs> I think we've circumnavigated the globe. Another, so. another interview. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Good. Uh, Thank wish you. Every success uh, with your books, with your poetry, with your work. Um, and I very much look forward to keeping in touch with you. Thank you. I appreciate it, John. Take care now. Bye-bye.